you would take out your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, as we make our way through this letter, are coming very soon to its conclusion here in another couple of weeks. So looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us next. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that'll be page number 1163 as we look at verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be taking a look at the latter half of this one verse as we're exploring the armor that God has given to us to live the Christian life. So, we saw in verse 17, as we looked at last time, where it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached to you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this passage that you've given to us and the gift that it points to. Lord, we do pray that you would arm our hearts today to hear what we, you have to tell us. May you speak through an unworthy vessel to point to a worthy Lord. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gotten a letter from someone that you'd loved? It's a precious gift, really, because it's sharing with you themselves. It's them telling you about themselves in a way that you're not able to know in any other way. A direct presentation of themselves to you. And you've probably heard, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, that that's how the Word of God is pictured. That is a love letter from God to us. And it's actually a better illustration than we might think. The fact that God would reveal himself to us in such a direct way at all is an incredible act of love. And this, is, and this gift is what we're going to be talking about today as Paul pictures it as a sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon that we're given here in this armor of God, so we're going to explore what it is that this wonderful book gives to us and why it's such an able weapon, really the only weapon, as we'll see, for our life as Christians. So we're going to take a look at our two points today. There's going to be numerous sub-points, but our main two points we're going to be looking at today, the first is that the Bible is a precious gift from God. And we'll explore the number of ways in which it is a precious gift from God. And then secondly, we'll talk about the training that is required to use the Bible rightly. To use the Bible rightly. So to begin, we'll look at the fact that the Bible is a precious gift from God. This is something that he has given to us and has preserved for us down through the millennia and has now in his providence enabled us to read it in our own language itself. If you think about how almost every other religion is done, God is not so gracious. We were going to, if we were going to design a religion or if I was going to design a religion, I would put the things that you needed to know in a really hard-to-get-to place. So I'd want to make sure that you were worthy of knowing this stuff, that you really wanted to make sure that you were ready for this religion, so I'd put it in a place that would be hard to find. But God doesn't do that for us. He gives us his word directly in this Format and helps us to approach this thing correctly. I made the analogy earlier that this is like a love letter. So how do you read a love letter? We don't 
tend to skim those things and then put it aside, saying like, well, I'll finish the rest of it later. If you truly care about the person, you pour over every word, don't you? Examine every nuance that's possible and heaven help you if there's a typo or a missing word or something. If there's a, a missing knot, you know, like, well, I can wait until I can see you again. It's like, ugh, you might get the wrong idea. But this is something that you pour over because you want to understand as much as you can. And that's the same way that we should approach this. This is something that is telling us about our God, the one whom we love, and is worth the effort and the study to pour over. Now, unlike the the love letters that we can write that might be subject to typos or grammatical errors, the word of God as originally given to us is without error. We can trust every single thing that this book tells us. We can't always do that with letters that we get from other people might contain inaccuracies or, or even downright untruths. But that's not what we have here in the Scriptures. We have a completely reliable guide to who God is and how he wants us to live. This is because it comes from God himself, as 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, that this is a word that has been breathed out by God himself. Now, it's more than that. Again, we're going over why this is a precious gift from God. We've looked at the first bit is that it reveals who God is perfectly. But the second thing that, our, that this Bible gives us is it helps us to understand and know what error is. It's unfortunate when we don't read the Bible and examine it for ourselves. And instead, we put all of our trust in the professionals or people that we like to unfold the scriptures for us. Doubtless you are aware of podcasts and documentaries that have shown how this has worked itself out in America. Of those that that will pretend to, to accurately present what the Bible says, but they'll twist it to their own ends. We don't have to do that. We don't have to be subject to that. It's something where we can come and examine what the scripture says, and this is what will point out these errors to us. This is something that we need to be the final guide. It's our final assurance for anything as to why we believe anything about the Christian life is because we can find it here in this book. And it's worth our study and worth our knowing. And really, the only way that we're able to do that is to spend time with it. And the more time we spend in here, the more easily we'll be able to identify those errors. My grandfather, um, and he was a young man, worked for the Miami-Dade Police Department. And at that time, they had them trained in how to spot counterfeit money. And the way that they did that was not by trying to gather up all the sort of counterfeit bills that they had found in the field, but instead they left them with a giant pile of money in an office and locked them in there for eight hours to just spend time with the real thing, counting it, feeling it, smelling it, moving it around. And then at some point, at the conclusion of their training, they had them go in there again, but they slipped one counterfeit bill in the pile of this and told them to find it. And because of his training, he was able to identify it immediately because it stood out as being so different from the rest of it. Even though your average person who hadn't spent a lot of time with the money might have been confused by it or tricked by it. It's the same thing here with the gospel. It's the same thing here with the Bible. If we're going to understand what error is, to try to go out and understand what all of these different errors are, well, there's no end to that kind of study. But instead, by filling your mind with truth, meditating on it day and night, well, those errors will stand out immediately. 
even really subtle ones. But there's simply no substitute for time. I remember being uh, shamed about that in my seminary practice. We had probably one of my favorite teachers had given us a very difficult quiz every week where she would pull a random verse from the New Testament and would say, where is this from? And we would need to identify where that verse was. And a lot of us would do okay. We would pass the quizzes. But there was one guy who would always seem to get the flying flying colors in passing grades. And we asked him, he said, what is your study technique? How do you always manage to do so well on these quizzes? And he kind of looked down and he looked at us and said, it's because I've spent a lot of time in the Bible. And he was right. He's just spent a lot of time and a lot of years reading, studying, poring over the scriptures. And because of that, he was familiar with it and knew where it was. And that's been something that I had to take to heart and realize there is no amount of cramming that makes up for a lifetime of neglect. It's just getting started. Now, if we find ourselves and say, it's like, oh, I I think I may have been a victim of that neglect. Well, like my father says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. And it's the same thing for us. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, well, then it's time to start a habit. Time to spend some time in the scriptures and get familiar with them. The Lord will bless you for that. It's always a blessing to dive in with that. Because it does more as we look here in this precious gift of God. It is a love letter. It accurately presents to us who God is and what is true. But more than that, this is our only tool. (coughs) Excuse me. Pause for dramatic effect. This is our only tool for fighting error that we see. Not only in... The world that's outside, but in our own hearts as well. When we see the world going in a terrible moral direction, the temptation is to try to use the world's own standards for showing them why they're wrong. It's like, okay, well, homosexuality, that's not fit for human flourishing, and here are five studies that will tell me that. And what they'll do is they'll pull ten more studies that will invalidate those five. Anytime we try to fight a spiritual battle on anything but the word of God, we will lose. I don't care how good the statistic is, the, the literature from science, those things are not what we use to fight the moral battles that are in our age. We come to the Bible and we say, thus says the Lord. By the way, uh, one commentator's name is Ian Duguid, which is a wonderful name if you're a Bible commentary, Duguid. He had drawn out the fact that the word of God is the only thing that's going to fight our own sin. How often when we come, he he points this out, when we feel the temptation to sin, we try to reason our way out of it. Well, I shouldn't do this because I'll get caught. Well, I shouldn't do this because I'll feel bad. Well, I shouldn't do this because some other answer. Satan is actually really good at hearing those reasons, and he's a much better debater than you are. And one day or another, you will find out how to rationalize your way around your reasons. Maybe you'll find a way in which you won't get caught. Maybe you won't feel so guilty this time. All of those reasons fall away. But the word of God stands. 
If Jesus said no, then the answer is no. And we don't have to go any further than that. That makes it much easier in dealing with temptation than to try to find additional reasons for it other than thus says the Lord. That's why this is such a precious gift. Accurately reveals who God is. A sure light forward into what truth is and the means of combat against sin and temptation. That's what we see Jesus do, right? Matthew chapter 4. When Satan presents all of these temptations to Jesus, does Jesus respond with rationalizations and reason? No. He responds with the word of God. It is written. Here it is. It is written. There it is. This is what the Lord does for us. It helps us reveal error. And it helps us to follow after him. Any other weapon is not a weapon. Nothing else is listed here to use, as, to use offensively other than the word of God. So let's now look into point number two. That training is required to use the Bible rightly. Now, when I say this, I don't mean to say that all of the Bible is a total mystery and there's just no way that you're going to be able to come across it. That's not the case at all. The Bible makes its main points extremely clear that you are a sinner. You have done things that displease God and because of that you are in danger of going to hell forever. This is the penalty for our sin. There's no way around it. Except that Jesus has come to live a perfect life that you should have lived, died to pay the penalty and satisfy God's wrath that was aimed at you, rose from the dead, and now invites you to turn to him and trust in him, and he will bring you to heaven. That's the gospel. That's very clear. That's all through the scriptures. But as we read in these passages and see how these little individual pieces fit together. This is something that is worth effort and is worth study. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 to rightly divide the word of truth. This is something that we have to, if we need to rightly divide it, that means we can wrongly divide it. This is something that we have seen, as I mentioned earlier, those that have tried to take advantage of people by twisting the scriptures into saying something that they don't say. We need to be able to look into the scriptures and say, no, 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 no. Here's why what you're saying is wrong. Because of what it says here, what it says here, what it says here. But there has to be time and there has to be effort to understand what these things say. I mean, after all, this is a supernatural book that was written in three different languages 3,000 years ago. We can't just pick this thing up and read it casually. This is something that deserves our awe and respect. But I can understand that this is intimidating. As one scholar very eloquently put it, the Bible is a big book. And it's an intimidating one. Most of us haven't read books this large. And it can feel like, well, if I'm coming into this thing, then I'm going to, there's no way that I'm going to get this thing right. How can I make sure that I'm understanding this correctly? Well, I say we live in an age now where there are more resources than we've ever had before. There are study helps, there are commentaries, and all of those things are helpful. 
In fact, if you ever want to borrow any of the resources that I have, I keep them in my office and you're welcome to any of them, unless I need them that week. But you're welcome to those. I never step in here into the pulpit without at least looking to see what what other people have said about this. But the thing that you have that's most helpful is you have the Holy Spirit that lives within you, who is guiding you. So when you come to the scriptures, pray for help. Say, I'm about to dive into your word, Lord. Help me to understand what I read and then help me to apply it to my life. By doing that and by keeping things like context and genre in mind, you will be able to arrive to a correct interpretation of Scripture. In fact, if you're interested in, in between books as we are heading into the our after we finish Ephesians, we'll be starting Genesis uh, after that. But in between, in the month of July, we're going to be doing a sermon series on commonly misunderstood verses and passages. And we'll take a look at how it is that we understand verses like judge not or, or Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you. Or other verses that have been misunderstood and how by applying just a few things that are in the Bible themselves and how we can approach this, we'll be able to understand what these things really mean. It's not a deep mystery, believe it or not, but it's something that we can do together. So if that's something that, that interests you, then I hope that you will be a part of it. In any case, when we come to this word, this is something that is deeply worth our study and is deeply worth our time. Because this is going to be the only thing that we can fight our own sin and our own false teaching. What I would like to also point you to, and we'll, we'll close with this, I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. This is, I'm sure, a very familiar psalm to many of you. And this is giving a a promise to the one who studies the Word of God. Here in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What is this psalm saying? Particularly, let's take a look at verse 2. When it talks about our delight being in the law of the Lord, that is what this should be, is a delight. If it's not, then I would ask that you would pray to the Lord that this would become a delight for you. Sometimes it's difficult. This is a hard book to understand sometimes. Sometimes our own flesh resists reading and understanding what's said here because we know we'll have to change some things. We do. But that this is to be a delight for us. And then secondly, I want us to note this word meditate. Meditate has unfortunately gotten a lot different meaning now in our context than it did in the Hebrew times. A lot of us, when we think about meditate, we think about mindfulness, sitting on the floor, cross-legged, going, mm, 
been thinking about nothing. That's not the kind of meditation that the psalmist is speaking about here. It's not emptying your mind, but is instead filling your mind. The Hebrew word that's here for meditate actually has this idea of repeating, whispering the word of God to yourself over and over again as you think this through. Looking at it from all its different angles. With the expectation that you're not going to understand the entire book, the the entire Bible on your first read-through. Or even your second read-through. Or even in your early adulthood. But this is meant to be something that you are going to be looking at and seeing how does this apply to your life in every stage of your life. And how do these verses that maybe you didn't even notice before now deeply apply to you in these situations. It's more than just reading through to check off your Bible reading plan every day. But if we really want to get familiar with what this Bible tells us, then meditation is something we all need to do. This takes time. It's more difficult than just reading. But it's saying, all right, how does what I just read apply to my life today? What's a promise that I can believe or a command that I need to obey here in this passage? And this is something that is worth doing even over well-trodden areas of Scripture. These are things that are worth your remembrance and worth your bringing back to mind. Another extremely helpful thing to do in addition to meditating is to memorize. Memorizing is a lost art today. Because we can pull things out of the air at any point with our cell phones. But there is a promise that is given here that we hide God's word in our heart. The psalmist says, I hide God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. There is something about memorizing God's word and having it in your mind so that you can call it to you at any point. At any point able to meditate on it and think about it that is worth our doing. Again, this is a letter from God to you who loves you very, very much. Nothing that I have said here would be out of the ordinary to do for a letter that you, from someone you love. You would think about it. You would read it so often you would probably have a lot of it memorized. It's the same expectation here. So this is something that is to be our joy. And that's why I want to emphasize that this is a joy and a delight, as it says in the Psalms. But also, this is our lifeline for battle. We would not want to throw someone into battle with a sword who has never been trained with it. has never swung it before, never practiced with it. We would not want to do the same thing in spiritual conflict. It's coming for us. So be prepared. Memorize this word. Meditate on it. Apply it to your life. And you will find a deep, deep, blessing within it. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for this time that we have had together as we look into your word and see what it says. Lord, I do thank you for bringing this letter to us, setting it up in such a way that we can have the comfort of knowing what you want us to believe And what duties you require of us. But I pray that we would love it. 
I pray that we would make every effort to know it, to be familiar with it, and most of all, to obey it. Lord, I pray if there are any who are here whose hearts have grown cold to the word of God over the years, that familiarity has made them lose the wonder of your word. I pray that you would show them the joy of the scriptures afresh and that they would delight to meditate in your word day and night. Lord, if there are those who are here who have never read your word before, who don't understand what it means, but would be interested to know, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts even now and that they would be prompted to understand who you are and what you have for them. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you are here today and don't know who Jesus is or what this word points to, but you would like to know more, please come and see me after the service. There would be nothing that would delight me more than to show you his word and to introduce you to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.